Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to Wednesday's edition of the programme and I take it there was very few people who were sat down to watch TV last night who didn't tune in to some, if not all, of the very special Late Late Show that was on last night and I take it that was the first for the Late Late Show to be on on a Tuesday night and what a show it was. I was, I, you know, at the end of it I was thinking... Goodness me, how proud Gay Byrne would have been of that show last night. And I know he was quite famous for, you know, sitting with the production team afterwards and almost like doing a debrief on the show, talking about what worked, what didn't work, you know, what they could learn from it, what they could have done better, what they excelled in. And I don't think there was anything on last night's show that he could have said or found fault with it. It was truly, truly an exceptional show. And it was what a lot of people are describing it as. It was a public wake for uh, Gay Byrne and it just gave everybody the chance to reflect on the man that, that he was. And, you know, the very fact that the tributes were opened last night by our own president, Michael D. Higgins, coming in and, you know, and was more than humbled, I think, to be asked to come in to kick off the tributes. But it shows the mark of the man that Gay Byrne was, that we would have the president of our country leading the tributes on this special show uh, for him. And Michael T. Higgins, you know, spoke about the courage that Gay Byrne had, the courage to open up what should be opened up. And I quote, he said, I think that maybe the biggest thing was that people felt was that you had a kind of a safe, non-judgmental space where you could begin to think in a modern uh, way. And it was, I think, a lovely way to start the show was to have that tribute at the beginning from Michael D. Higgins. And then it went on, the rest of the night went on to be a celebration. It was a commemoration. It was a time to reflect. And as Ryan Tuberty said, it was time to pay tribute to the life of a man who was a friend, who was a colleague, who was a mentor and who was a game changer. Gay Byrne was a part of this country's story for more than 60 years. And he made us laugh. He made us cry. There was times where he made us angry. But more than anything, as he made us sit up and take notice when we had to. And then the list of high profile guests that appeared last night and you know, to hear Ryan Tuberty say they rang and they knocked on doors yesterday and it would all have been put together very quickly to say, would you like to join us? And nobody, there was, there was no's from absolutely nobody. I mean, 
the former, while we had President Michael D. Higgins, we also had a former president in Mary McAleese. She, I thought, gave a wonderful uh, contribution, as did Bob Geldof. Andrea Corr was there, Sharon Shannon, the musicians and the singers that turned up because, of course, they would all, for many of them, would accept they got a big break with Gay Byrne on The Late Late Show. And even when they were big stars, if they wanted to promote something, a maybe a concert or a tour they were doing or a new album that they, they would have out, a must was to get on The Late Late Show. So I think it was their chance last night to say thank you for that uh, as well. Tommy Tiernan was there. Pat Short and John Kenny, The Unbelievables again. I think they would, hand on heart, say that Gay Byrne gave them the leg up the ladder that they needed and gave them the exposure. And any time the Unbelievables would appear on The Late Late, it would cheer up the entire country. We all loved to see Pat Short and John Kenny. So it was great to see the two of them uh, last night. Eamon Dunphy was there. Twink was there, of course, and uh, Father Brian Darcy. And then there was a whole host of other broadcasters and journalists who worked with him and also classed him as... Their friend Pat Kenny was there, Joe Duffy, Mike Murphy. I thought Mike Murphy's contribution was wonderful. And whenever you saw Gay Byrne and Mike Murphy together, you knew, you know, besides being work colleagues, they were really, really good friends. And Mike Murphy always was like kind of the bold uncle. And I think his mischievous nature was something that Gay Byrne loved. And I think at times Gay Byrne would love to have if he could have been as mischievous as Mike Murphy, but he kind of left it up to Mike Murphy. But they had a wonderful friendship and it was just terrific last night to hear Mike talk about uh, Gay Byrne. Uh, and then, of course, and I mentioned this earlier when I was on with uh, Simon, Nell McCafferty was in the audience. And if you think back to Nell McCafferty's many, many appearances on the Late Late, she always added something to the Late Late. And Gay Byrne, I think, knew that. Nell was commodity. She could be cantankerous at times, but she was always lively. She was always fantastic in a debate. And Gay Byrne saw that in her and you never knew what you were going to get out of Nell McCafferty, but you knew that it was going to be television gold. And that's why she appeared on The Late Late Show so much. So when I saw her in the audience sitting next to Miriam O'Callaghan, I said, oh, we're in for a little bit of fun with Nell McCafferty. But for whatever reason, they didn't go to her early on in the show. And maybe that put her in a bad mood. But I... Her, her face appeared on TV quite quite a lot because of where she was sitting. She was very obviously in the second row and the first and the second row were the two rows where they put the people that they, Ryan was going to talk to. So, you know, it led you to believe she was going to talk at some stage if the time allowed, obviously. And I'm assuming everyone was told that we'll get you if we can. We're limited in the amount of time that we actually have. But she did look all night as if she kind of like had a what she'd call a sourpuss. She, she looked like somebody had hit her with a, a dead fish for most of it. And even when others were clapping, she didn't seem to be clapping and, I don't know, seemed a bit out of it at times. And then, of course, if you didn't see it, they were about to go through a break and she kind of shouted down. And I don't know whether she shouted down that she wanted to speak or not. But Ryan went to her and said, oh, you know, we'll get you in a moment or whatever. But it wasn't. It was she wanted a glass of water. And I did notice, they then went to an ad break, I did notice when they came back for the final segment and they didn't go to her, by the way. She did have what looked like a glass of orange 
and I was <laughs> trying to find excuses for it. And I wondered if her blood sugar levels go down a little bit and they had to give her a fizzy drink to bring her back up. But they didn't get to her anyway. And uh, whether they decided there and then that she was just appeared in bad form, better off to leave her alone, I don't know. But there was some very, very funny comments, I have to say, on Twitter reacting to Nell McCafferty after she called for the glass of water. Uh, and can I say Ryan Tuberty handled it extremely well. Gay Byrne would have been proud of the way uh, he handled it. Then somebody by text says, uh, hi Patricia, well Nell is Nell, but who dressed Miriam McCallaghan time and a place? Somebody didn't like the way Miriam was uh, dressed and somebody else by text it was such a lovely show, Gay will be truly and dearly uh, missed. And another texter, absolutely loved the show last night, I think they should make it an annual event. <laughs> yeah, they could once a year kind of do an anniversary show about a Gay burn. And yesterday we didn't have the funeral arrangements. Somebody's saying, wonder will they televise it? And they are. It is going to be televised on uh, Friday morning. And they're also expecting thousands of people will turn out in uh, Dublin. It's in St Mary's Pro Cathedral uh, noon on uh, Friday morning. They're also expecting that friends and neighbours will line the streets of Gay Burns, former home village of Hoth because the removal will be from his former home in Hoth, which of course his daughter now lives in and that's where he was when he passed away. The funeral cortege is going to pass through Hoth on its way to the Pro uh, Cathedral and I imagine the streets of Dublin will be lined with people. I think the the dubs will turn out because he was very much one of their own. But yes, uh, they are going to televise it. So it was it was a lovely, lovely programme last night and well done to everybody involved. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls, uh, your thoughts. Welcome throughout the morning. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Now coming up on the programme uh, this morning, We are going to be talking about the sentencing yesterday of the two teenage boys for the murder of Anna Creasel. They will now go down in history, unfortunately, for all the wrong reasons. The boys are the youngest people in the history of the state to be convicted of a murder. And of course, lots of columnists in the papers today with... I suppose lots of people trying to find out and try to understand how and why two 13-year-old boys could be capable of such violence and such evil. I mean, the judge in his delivery yesterday, which was really lengthy, it was it went on for an hour and 40 minutes and he went into great detail to explain his decision as to why he was handing out the various sentences. But he did say that there was nothing to suggest that either of the boys suffered from a mental disorder and no issues were raised as to their competence to stand trial. And there was nothing in their previous histories to suggest that they might be capable of these uh, crimes. Because how often have we spoken about when somebody turns up in court and the excuse that will be put forward is oh it was a bad background they came from and they were deprived as children and various things happened to them but there was absolutely nothing in these young boys past to try to give any kind of an explanation as to why they could do what they do. Now boy A has blatantly 
admitted some level of acceptance to his responsibility. He's continuing, though, to deny certain elements, including the sexual assault on Anna, even though he was found guilty of the sexual assault. Boy B still does not accept any responsibility for the murder, although culpable, there was no evidence to say that he engaged in the actual assault. But, and that obviously was reflected in the sentence. But he was, Boy B was the boy who called for Anna and who brought Anna to Boy A. And the theory is that he knew what Boy A was going to do. So therefore he was culpable. And of course, he would also have been there when it, it happened. So he is, while he might have engaged in the assault on Anna, he certainly was uh, culpable. The boys, say, the judge then said that both boys, both boys, have to face up to their culpability while custody will be a factor in determining how long they will eventually end up being detained. A review of Boy's A, a sentence that will take place in January of 2029, so in 10 years' time, and Boy B's term will be reviewed in 2026. And then to watch Anna Creagel's parents, uh, Patrice and Geraldine, come out of the court yesterday for the f- final time and once again such a courageous couple and showing such dignity and I thought the for, the father's statement Patrice uh, Creasel's his statement that the forever is not long enough for Anna's uh, killers because they now are facing what is a lifelong sentence which has been inflicted on them and was inflicted on them from that day in May when she first went at missing. And I think when I've been following this case and I think the nation followed this case, I think for me personally, the fact that we adopted Marsha from a Russian orphanage and the Creagels adopted Anna from an orphanage in Russia. You know, they brought her home promising her a new life and a fresh start and they brought her back to this country you know, no doubt making the promises to her that she would be safe and they thought she was going to be safe in a, in a quiet country uh, village and uh, you know as in the impact statement her mother said you know that the, the only sound in the morning was the doves cooing and they believed that they were bringing her somewhere where she would be safe forever and that must be just gut-wrenching for them and I think it's the fact of the adoption from Russia that you know got to me because it was something I remember thinking you know my uh, you know our promises to Marcia that she would always be safe and and always on Marcia's birthday I think of her birth mother and I would have made a promise you know in my mind to her mother that you know she'll always be loved she'll always be protected and I doubt the Creatials did the same thing and yet in a way they feel they've left her down that they weren't able to protect her it's just such a devastating, devastating uh, case. Andy, then the boys' parents also trying to pick up the pieces. So we'll speak with Frank Graney, our court reporter, on that case after 11 this morning on the programme. Also on the programme this morning, difficulties that young couples are facing here in Cork trying to purchase affordable houses. These are the people that are falling between two stools. They're earning too much in order to qualify for a social house. And yet if they go to the banks, they're not earning enough to be able to take on a standard mortgage. So they really are sort of caught in the middle. What can we do 
and what is being done for that cohort of uh, people. Residents of Watergrass Hill will join us on the programme this morning. There is a fear that some households who have been receiving their water from a natural spring, now it's a public water supply, but it comes from a natural spring, they're fear that they're going to lose that natural spring and they raise their concerns on the programme today. And then we're going to hear from a group, it's a Facebook page that was set up earlier this year called Maz on a Mission. I'm interested actually to find out a little bit more about the Facebook page as well. But last week, this group decided that they wanted to do something for the amount of homeless children that we have in this country who will be facing homelessness and living in emergency accommodation uh, in in Christmas which is you know only a couple of weeks away now at this stage but so they want to do something so they're doing a toy appeal and I just think it's a lovely lovely idea for all of us who are lucky enough to have a roof over our heads whether we own it or not or whether we're renting it or whether we're paying a high mortgage we have a front door and we have a roof over our heads and unfortunately there are over 10,000 people who cannot say that this morning. They are people who are waking up in hotel rooms and in B&Bs and in emergency accommodation and many of them sadly are children. So this is an appeal especially for those children just to give them a little gift to say there are people in this country that are thinking about you and recognise what you're going through at the moment and here's a little present to say Happy Christmas uh, to you. It's lovely so we'll speak more about that on the programme today. And it is Wednesday so that means Peter Dowdle joins us if you've got a gardening question for Peter get it into us please. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed. Friday in Clonic Kilty uh, to our comment line on Gay Byrne. So Gay Byrne also beautiful people on his uh, show but it was the way he handled those beautiful people. Bridie I think that's what brought out the best in him. Michael has sent me on a clip from Eileen O'Sullivan. It's a piece from the archives in RTE uh, called Beautiful The Beautiful Beira Peninsula and Michael says it was 30 years ago last May that that little film clip was filmed which was two years after Eileen O'Shea uh, was on the housewife or one housewife of the year. Gay Byrne once remarked when asked who were the people who impressed him most in his time and he said the Pope and Eileen O'Sullivan the housewife of the year contestant may they both rest in peace. Thank you for that uh, Michael. Hi Patricia says Mags the, Mags the Late Late Show was a wonderful tribute to Gay Byrne. I loved every moment of it. There was wonderful stories and music and great memories of Gay and in we saw Gay Byrne in true Gay Byrne style openly talking about subjects that were simply not spoken about. I actually says Mags was in tears at times watching it last night and seeing all the memories of Gay on the different shows and his amazing guests. I think Ryan Tuberty also found it emotional. It was a lovely show. I think everybody on it uh, in so, at some stage became uh, emotional. Well, another texter says, Hi Trish, um, it was a great show, but this listener felt that Ryan Tuberty handled Nell very badly. I thought he covered it very well. He gave her the glass of water and said, Oh, we'll get you in a minute, kind of thing. I thought he did quite well, but you know, that's me. You obviously saw it a different way. 1850 We're going to take a break and we are back discussing problems that young couples have trying to access affordable housing. 
Exilemach Quidenanihe is Farlin. Shae Troer C103 Air Kirkig. Is there in Devil Yaston Gahiraho Elizabeth Fort? Agasterter Gwicha or Chandos Nasampli is Far, the Loon Reltochrohoch, on Shachtu Hishdiak. Kigger Atogoche Harnablienta, Hogalord on Doon on Giatlaw Real Fos Lefeshkint, Atogoch, a Doos Border, Sivlian Shadiak Sahayan, when Sultas Rarkana Untocha Erchahar Kurki, O Ali Nununta, Agastog Truss, Hunfalum Vestaran Doon, Agas Nakaharach, Hodeshna Green Grafadorach, the Untochal, Marshin Nafog, Gan Selfie Hogan. Nocta, Quid Denaneha is Fari Gorkig, C103. Young couples seeking to purchase affordable housing sites in County Cork will have to wait at least two years because the government has so far failed to provide the funding to the council. Councillor Seamus McGrath, who sought a report on what affordable housing schemes the council has sought funding for, joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Seamus. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Well, you're welcome. Now, what are we talking about here? Couples who are above the threshold for social housing but don't earn enough to buy a house on the current market. Is that the group of people we're talking about? Yes, exactly. Um, there's a large group of people, I suppose, in that category, and not necessarily couples, individuals or couples. Um, so people who are earning money and that money puts them over the income limits to qualify for social housing support. Um, but at the same time, they're not in a position uh, to borrow money through banks or whatever to buy a, buy a property on the open market. Uh, so they're in that category. So you take a couple, for example, where one may be on 25000 a year, another may be on 35000 a year. Between the two of them, they have 60000 Um But it isn't going to be enough to secure a mortgage to buy a three-bed you know, starter home or whatever in the current open market. And there is a large group of people in that category. And as, a, as an elected representative, I meet them regularly, as I say, both individuals and couples. Um, and very often, Patricia, they're still in what we call the rental trap where they're paying 12, 13, 1400 a month renting a property um, and they find themselves stuck in that because they haven't got the ability to save for a deposit. Yeah, and um, you know what always gets me and, and we would hear from them here on the programme, they, if they were, did have access to a mortgage, they would actually be paying less on the mortgage than what they're paying privately renting. That is very often the case, absolutely. Um, and, and just to go back there in terms of the social housing income limit, uh, just to be clear on that, it is a very low limit in terms of um, if you're over a certain limit you don't qualify for what is support. it so it, it varies depending on the size of the family number okay. and so on but basically it's around a 30 to 34,000 mark for Cork County uh, so between 30 to 34,000 depending on dependence and so on um, and that is a net income I should qualify it is a net income so it's after tax and deductions but that's a very low income level um, and I and I'm sure other representatives meet people regularly who are just over that limit and find themselves in a situation where they have no support whatsoever in terms of getting on the property ladder. And and that is the category of people, I suppose, that affordable housing is aimed at. Uh, we had an affordable housing scheme a decade ago, it did work quite well. It was it was it was um, it was combined with the Part Five provision. You know, all new developments have yeah. a certain percentage yeah. of social and affordable housing. I think at the time it was ten percent affordable. Uh, so there were units uh, being made available through that system, um, and and it it basically gave young couples or individuals the opportunity to get on the property ladder at a discount from the market value. The discount could be thirty, forty percent on the market value, um, and there was a system then, obviously, where there were, there was a clawback if they were to sell the house and so on like that um, so it did work quite well it wasn't perfect by any means but it did work and people got on the property ladder as a result of it but over the last number of years there has been absolutely no support or no affordable housing scheme in Cork County 
um, and that is the reason why I put down the motion um, in October to get an update on this. Um, and and uh, I got Chris, is, the, is there a danger, Seamus, that you know we have a generation who may never own their own houses? Are they certainly living in fear that they'll never own their own houses? And we come from, we are a people, a nation that like to own our own properties. We are, and we would always be, I suppose, up there in terms of the ownership rates across Europe. But that is actually falling dramatically now. Um, we. Previously, going back, you know, previous years, we would have had the highest rates of ownership, house ownership, but it, that is turning on its head now, and we are actually falling dramatically and becoming one of the lowest, uh, which is quite a turnaround for a country, as you say, where people do like to own their own property. They find it provides great security. It goes back to historical issues, I'm sure, but um, we always, we always, I suppose, sought to own our own properties. Um, and, and that's something that young couples, young individuals still seek to do, but they need support to do it. Um, and while house prices may have kind of slowed down and they may have flattened out a little bit, they're still quite expensive. I mean, if you take Carrigaline, for example, uh, a new three-bed semi is in the region of 310000 Um You may get a second-hand one, you know, less than that, but you're still talking a significant amount of money that you have to qualify to borrow. Um, and that's beyond the reach. That couple that you gave the example of on the 60000 they wouldn't have a hope no, of getting a mortgage. No, they wouldn't have a hope. I mean, if you take the average... If you take the rule of thumb, we'll say of three and a half times your income, that may bring them to about the 200,000 mark. Um, but they also have to have a 10% deposit. And, that's and they're problem. the ones that are caught renting and paying maybe thirteen, fourteen hundred a month. So how can they save it? Yeah, so look, I, I saw the report and I got, I got a response. Um, and the council has submitted six sites in Cork County uh, for affordable housing, for an affordable housing scheme. Okay. Uh, the, the, the government has given an allocation of funding for what they call under the serviced sites initiative, um, which basically helps the council to fund infrastructure on the site and serve the site in terms of, you know, storage networks and so on like that. Um, but the council are saying to me that isn't enough, that they need further support because they have borrowings on those lands and that the, and that the government has to support the council in repaying those loans. Are they, these are sites that are already owned by the council? These are sites that are owned by the okay. council and they borrowed money to buy these sites. So they have significant borrowings um, that have to be addressed, that has to be addressed. And the funding that has been given is, is basically to facilitate the development of infrastructure on the site, which isn't going to be enough, I'm being told by the executive, to progress affordable housing because they need support in terms of the land cost, the borrowing cost that they have. Um, so there's back and forth between the council and the department but as of now, we do not have white smoke on those issues. Um, and, and while there were six sites nominated and a certain amount of funding given, I cannot with any certainty say to people here this morning that we will have affordable housing in, in 18 months or in two years because we just don't know at this point in time. And that is very, very frustrating for people out there trying to get on the property ladder. Um, and it does, is There doesn't seem to be any urgency about this, Seamus. That, 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 that is absolutely true. Uh, and that's a point I made when I read this motion in the council chamber. While... You know, we criticise social housing and it's slow. There, at the same time, there are programmes, there there are social housing schemes being built. No, there's not enough and it's slow, as I say, but there are. There is there, there is movement there, shall we say. But when it comes to affordable housing, when it comes to addressing the needs of that category of people working, but on incomes that disqualify them for social housing, there just isn't any support for those at the moment. Uh, it's an issue that has been highlighted uh, widely and endlessly, but for some reason, the, 
the government just not, are not taking up the baton Seems on it. Seems to be just falling on deaf ears. Uh, here's a text in from a listener saying, oh my God, I'm so delighted to hear that this topic has been discussed on your programme this morning. My husband and I are in exactly the situation you're talking about. We're in our 40s. We earn a combined total of €50,000 a year. We can't get a mortgage, yet we're earning too much for social housing. We pay €1,000 a month rent. We will never own our own house and we will never have an opportunity if a scheme doesn't come and be put in place. We were offered €80,000 from the banks for a mortgage. What could you buy for £80,000? But we dread a call every day from our, that our landlord may decide to sell. And, and thank you for, um, but to the listener. I, I can sense and feel your frustration in your text. But there's, there's that added problem of that living in dread that the house you're renting will be suddenly taken off the market and you could end up homeless. Without a doubt, um, and and that listener outlined the case that I hear so so often, and I suppose I did refer to young couples. It's not necessarily young couples, you know. It, it's couples uh, across the age bracket, really, who are trying to seek uh, to own a house. Our individuals, as I say, it's both individuals and couples. So it is really across the age brackets from people in their twenties, thirties, forties, and in some cases even their fifties who are trying to get on the property ladder. Um, and 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 there's a large group of people out there, and the text you read out there really does represent, as I say, such a swathe of people across Cork. County. Um, and you're right, uh, they are renting, they're in a rental trap and they do not have security of tenure necessarily um, and many areas of Cork are not in rent pressure zones uh, for example um, and we have a particular issue in Carrigaline here where one part of the town is in a rent pressure zone and the other part isn't uh, so people who find themselves rented on the part that isn't in a rent pressure zone uh, of course are subject to, to large rent increases um, so it, it really is a very serious issue um, and as I say, look, I'm not the first person to raise this. It has been aired many times, um, but the government uh, and the department just don't seem to see the urgency in this. Um, there, there appears to be a lot of movement on the social housing scene, but not in affordable housing. And I think that is something that we will seriously regret. Yeah, it's a uh, forgotten generation. Something has to be done. And even if funding magically appears today, uh, Seamus, we'd be looking at two years wouldn't we, before before couples will be moving in? Realistically, you would. Realistically, you yeah. would. And, I mean, there is no um, there is no provision at the moment for people to apply for affordable housing. There's no scheme that has been activated. Uh, so people that are coming to the likes of myself and other public reps, you know, we can advise them where things are, but they can actually not submit any application. They cannot do anything like that at this point in time. Uh, and that is very frustrating. You're trying to... You're trying to encourage people that there is some light at the end of the tunnel, but at the same time, you know, we can't be specific, we can't be certain about that, uh, and that puts us in a very difficult position then, trying to give some hope to people, but at the same time, we are relying on the department, uh, department in Dublin and the government to progress affordable housing schemes, and we are at their behest, I suppose, really. Okay, and just finally before you go, um, when a listener heard that you were coming on, Jonathan and Carrigaline sent in a question saying uh, drivers who block parking spaces on Main Street in Carrigaline don't care about the future of the town. He said at about 10 past nine yesterday morning, spaces on both sides of Main Street were full. These people are what he classes parking space blockers. They're either working on Main Street or they're getting the bus to go someplace else. Parking charges should be introduced in Carrigaline, give an hour free and then charge. What does Seamus think? Yeah, so look, I, I certainly agree that we have uh, an issue with long-stay parking, uh, you know, in high-profile places such as the Main Street, um, and we do need to try and address that issue. I suppose I would say 
the way to address that issue, Patricia, is through an active business association, uh, and that's something we are trying to work on in Carrigaline, where they can, you know, become a collective voice for the businesses of Carrigaline um, and and lobby the council to to bring about changes. Uh, look, I'll be perfectly straight. I don't agree with parking charges, um, but I think there should be some form of control, certainly. And if you take the example of Ballin Colleague, over the years they had time limits, for example, mm-hmm. but they, but they didn't have charges, and I think that system worked quite well. Um, and I, as a councillor, would have raised that with the council executive numerous times why can Balancolic have a warden and why can they have uh, time limits in place without charges whereas the executive were trying to introduce you know the full the full regime of parking controls plus charges in Carrigaline a number of years ago without giving any grace time without giving any free period of a half an hour or or, or one hour etc so that was blocked at the time uh, for good reason in my opinion the businesses didn't want it um, and councillors supported the businesses in that because it was it was it was uh, I suppose an extreme approach um, and we argued at the time can we not have a model the same as Balancolic where you have limits uh, whether they're you know an hour or two hours on on the main street etc um, without charges and that that will be enforced by a warden uh, sporadically or whatever you don't need a warden on the ground every day but you certainly need some form of enforcement um, and and I think that well, it's very unfair on the businesses if there's no parking for for customers to park it is unfair it is inf- it is unfair people will um, go elsewhere to shop and it is it is as I say something we do need to work on but I think the method and the way to do that is through a business association and okay. I, am, I am involved with the business association and trying to uh, you know I suppose trying to re-energise it and, and get businesses back involved um, we are now the largest town in the county we need to have a strong voice for businesses so that we can try and create vibrancy in our town centre and uh, parking is part of the issue that uh, one of the key issues I would say that needs to be addressed um, but I don't think charges are the way forward. Charges create a very negative, um, you know, a, neg- a negative vibe. People begin to avoid areas where there are charges, and I don't think that's yeah. And if there's strict enforcement and people start getting parking fines, it believe me, talk to the good people of yeah. Mallow, and, you, and they'll tell you how that can ruin the town as well. You can address the long stay parking. You can address the person who parks on the main street in the morning to get the bus to town or whatever for the there's day. There's other ways you of can, doing it. You can address that with time limits. Okay, you know? and uh, very finally, Miriam and Carrigaline, this is an issue actually that, that we spoke about on the program earlier in the week. Uh, as well. Uh, she said she was on the 220 bus last night coming out from town to carry a line. There was security on the bus. Um, they were from some security firm. She said it really is such a pity to see that it's come to this. What does Seamus think of what happened on the bus last week regarding the threats uh, to rape the female bus driver which was just such a shocking, shocking thing to happen. Is that where we're at? Security now needed on our buses, Seamus? Well, look, I suppose first of all, and, and I've already publicly absolutely condemned the incident last Last Halloween night, it was an absolutely disgraceful incident, and um, I have been assured by the guards they are actively following up on it, and I certainly want to see consequences for those involved. It can't just be a slap on the wrist. It was a very, very serious um, uh, form of threatening abuse, in my opinion, and it should be followed up on rigorously. So that's the first thing I'd say. Um, we have an excellent bus service in Carrigaline. It's the first 24-hour service in the country. It's every 15 minutes, not throughout the, the, the 24 hours, but for the bulk of the day, um, and it is widely used. Um, and I suppose you know, the protection of bus drivers is very important um, and I'm not sure who who has taken the move in terms of the security guards. I actually wasn't aware of that, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I, su- I suspect it is a reaction from bus air. And, um, but I certainly hope that we have not come to that on a permanent basis, that it may well be a reaction to what happened last week. Um, but the drivers have to be protected and um, we have to send out a message that that kind of behaviour isn't going to be accepted. Um, and I suppose 
that is a response from Bus Aaron. Um, but I don't think we need to necessarily have a situation where we have security guards on the buses all the time. I don't think that's necessarily the right approach. But certainly when incidents happen, I think they need to be rigorously followed up on and there needs to be consequences. Okay. Um, now, it does have to be pointed out, Trish, I suppose there are, you know, every 50 minutes there's a bus serving the area and the vast majority of the services work well without any difficulty. But we did have a particular problem last Halloween night uh, where there was a gang of youths, uh, not from Carrigaline, um, but the gang of youths are travelling between the suburbs of Cork. Because we have such a good bus service, it lends us to this type of behaviour, I suppose. Um, but as I say, it has to be it has to be stamped out and it has, there has to be consequences for those involved. Um, so I think that is probably more important than anything else that those were engaged in that are seen to be held to account. But when we, when it came up on the programme here, the number of people, now I don't know what age the youths were, but if they were under 18, does parental responsibility, Seamus? There, there, there of course should be parental responsibility and, you know, people say to me very often that when they're under 18, you know, there's no criminal responsibility, that nothing can be done, but I don't accept that. I mean, we saw in the news last night where two minors were convicted of a very, very serious crime in Dublin. Um, so there can be consequences um, and we need to bring about those consequences. Uh, just because some you, someone is under 18, if they commit a serious offence uh, and the kind of threat that was levied last Thursday night is a very, very serious threat. It's at the very extreme end of, of threatening behaviour and it needs to be actively uh, and, and seriously followed up on and, and there needs to be consequences. And I know I'm repeating myself, but I think that is the key here. If the message gets out that that is not accepted, that as a society and as a justice system we're not going to accept that, I think that's a powerful message to send out. Um, so I will be keeping a close eye on this. I have been in touch with the Gardaí about it on a number of occasions um, and I have been given assurance that it is being followed up actively. OK. And just a very final comment in from, this is back to the housing issue that we invited you on the programme to talk about. Dear Jim Ballon Hassig said, yes, uh, many, many couples in their 40s are renting homes, even couples with children and we're terrified that the landlord is going to sell up or want the house for another use. Many of the reasons why people in their 40s have been forced to rent is because we couldn't afford to buy when the high prices were there in 2005 and 2006. We had nothing to buy and we weren't able to buy for at least 10 years and now we cannot get a mortgage. We are a generation hit by the unfairness that was thrown at us, none of it of our uh, making. There are many of us in this boat. Thank you for that uh, Deirdre. Alright Seamus we, we'll leave it there and uh, if you get any good news on this please bring it to us there seems to be a lot of people caught in this real catch 22 uh, situation but thank you for joining us, I will, of us on the programme this thank, morning. Thanks Patricia, thank you. Good morning to you uh, bye bye. That is Carrie line based uh, councillor Seamus McGrath 1850 John Paul uh, taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. There are now even more ways to listen to C103. Tune in on your radio, go online, or grab our mobile app. And now you can ask your smart speaker to play C103. Play C103. Okay. So you can just follow me. Try it now. Try it now. C103. In the next hour, we will be talking about the sentencing of boy A and boy B for the Anna Creasial uh, murder. A listener says, I think both those two uh, boys, there's a different word used here on the screen, uh, that murdered that girl should be named and shamed. Nothing is good enough for them. Look at revenue. If you're caught with tax, they're owing tax, they'll publish every name. Those two 
should have they should be named and shamed and it seems once they get to 18 they still they still won't be named I wonder they're, at the moment they're protected because they're children they were 13 when they committed the crime they're now 15 and for that reason they uh, will certainly be protected up to eight, 18 but from and I will find out from our court reporter from my interpretation of it they will be protected uh, for life uh, listener feels that that is wrong 1850 your thoughts welcome to text whatsapp 0862 Get weekly news, event updates and community information from across Cork with our regional reports on c103.ie. From Bantry to Buttevant to Hallow to Dunmanway and every area in between, we've got it covered. To listen, go to c103.ie and click regional reports or download the C103 app and click podcasts. Regional reports only on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about housing and lack of affordable housing for people. Marion says in Holland they have apartments rather than houses. That's not the case in this country. Could that be one of the problems? But I suppose it's very hard for us to compare like with like when you look at a country like Holland or any of the Scandinavian countries Sweden, Finland, Norway, any of those countries, predominantly people in those countries rent and they've always rented. It's like it's in our psyche here that we own properties, you know, and whether it's a throwback to famine times and people being evicted, I I don't know what it is, but there is this whole generation now who are growing up that will never, who they're, they're now adults, they're in as some of our listeners this morning are highlighting they're in their 40s, many of them raising families and they're renting and they live in that constant fear that the house they are renting could be taken out from under them because the landlord decides to sell it or might want it for a family member or the rent will go so high that they can't afford it and where are they going to go, go then? And even though they're working and they're earning decent enough wage and a wage in which they can live on but they don't have enough to buy a mortgage and they're caught in that catch-22 situation what they're paying out in rent is more than they would be paying out if they had a mortgage and that's where we need to have a scheme in place for the people that fall between the two stools and allow them to be able to buy their own properties because if they've been renting I mean that lady who was on to us saying you know renting for 10-15 years paying a thousand euro a month never missed a payment it's a good track record of paying the mortgage they're able to afford or paying the rent they're able to afford it so they would be able to afford a mortgage we need to have schemes in place uh, for those people but thank you Marion for your call and Eilish in Bantir just while we're on the whole subject of housing was on to us to say what she describes as three family homes in Bantir they're council houses she reckons they have been vacant for over a year and a half. They're smaller houses within Eagle View. She said they what wonderful Christmas presents they would be for some families. These houses are perfect. So whoever would be allocated them could be in within two weeks. She said with so many families looking for accommodation, why are the council not giving out these homes? I, I, now we will put a call through and see if we can find out what's going on here with these houses in, in Bantir. Because we haven't heard voids, is what the council call, call them when they have empty houses. We haven't heard about voids in quite some time because the council was were making great efforts that when a house was handed back to the council 
that the, the turnaround was done and I know people give out about the work that has to be done in these houses and sometimes it's crazy sometimes people leave the houses in perfect condition but the council still have to go in and they may have to pull out wardrobes that were put in or change the kitchen back to the way the kitchen was originally never makes any sense to me but anyway we've had that I'm sick, sick and tired years ago of having that argument with the council them's are the rules and that's the way they do things so the houses have to be put back to the original condition for the next person renting and there was a time when those vacant houses were just taking way too long and we had people complaining about boarded up houses and if you live in an estate where you've got a boarded up house it can attract antisocial behaviour there's always a risk of vermin or going to um, you know you're going to get rats around the place if people start dumping rubbish because it's an, an empty property but then the council really started working on that and those voids were turned around very, very quickly indeed. So I'm really surprised that Eilish contacted us to say three family homes and, and that they're smaller homes, which I'm assuming, what are they, one and two bedded? bedroomed houses which there's always a huge demand for so we'll get on to the council and see if we can find out what is going on in Bantier but Eilish thank you for your call to 1850 talking of calls Pat is on the line from Mallow good morning to you Pat morning Tish uh, you're welcome you want to raise the ugly issue of dumping in Mount Nagel first explain to people where Mount Nagel is well there's, there's three roads actually no, Tisha. this would be the road from the Mitchellstown Road on to Cahaldog and on to the Donrail Road and okay. from Ballyvinator Bridge up to Mount Nagel and it seems to be a non-going thing year in year out I know every place is, is come into a rubbish and you're on about it every day but this is going on it seems to it, it slacks off maybe for a couple of months and then starts again you now in the last couple of weeks it's got bad again I sent you two photographs there yesterday and the photographs probably didn't even do justice because it's about 200 metres of the road covered in rubbish and where it is there's a house there there's a man there his family are there and they have cleaned it numerous occasions they have begged it council came and took it he has had tiles there the road you'll have we've had fridges you've had baby chairs um, wine bottles at one stage was a great item Every time you went for a walk, you could pick up three or four wine bottles just thrown into the grass. Like, this is stuff that people can get rid of for free. Can recycle. You can, you can go and to it, it, town and drop off your fridge or whatever. And that's free. And you don't have to pay at all. Anything that comes with a plug is, is taken for free at any of the civic, civic community centres. And what annoys me, Pat, is you can't walk up that road with the fridge and just dump it. Somebody had to put it into a car, into a trailer, into a van. So, you know, while you're, you have it in your car, trailer, a van, go to a civic community site with it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, these people that dump this stuff now, we had an incident on Friday, on, yeah, on Thursday night, Friday morning. Under the sign at Monegle, or at um, what we call Grady's Bridge, there's a sign there, a no-dumping sign that put by the council. They dump the rubbish at the sign. Yeah. It's kind of giving the, con- the two fingers to the council, the, isn't it? The thing about it was, then we rang the council on Friday morning. They came out, they begged it, tidied it perfectly, labelled it. And for whatever reason, I don't know what this is about. They labelled it on Friday morning. They left it there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, into Monday. Now, why the person who comes and packs it and bags it and did a perfectly tidy job of it and labelled it, why can't they take away the bags with them and they're going? And by Look, leaving it then, you've got crows and so foxes and rats and... Yesterday morning, 
I rang again on Monday morning. I rang again. The whole lot was around the road, oh, for and God's they sake. came. They came and in, and they took the bag. Whoever came in, took the bag that was torn and what was in it, and left the rest there. Oh. I mean, why can't they? If like, look, fair enough, they came out and they were brilliant to to, to clean up the rubbish. It's a horrible job. Why can't, they, why can't they take it away with them? Like, when you say they lay, <laughs> what, what are they labelling it? Well, they put a label on it to say that it's um, council rubbish. Like, all right, okay, okay. Did they go through the rubbish to try to identify? I I have no idea. Okay, was it household rubbish? Yeah, it's just sort of about theatre. Like the 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 pictures I sent you yesterday morning, that that wasn't um, that wasn't some homeless person or some down and out. It was a family. It was family rubbish. Everything from pizza boxes to potato skins. It's somebody living in a house with a family or, or in, in accommodation with a family who comes out and dumps it. It's not... It's somebody that should be more responsible. It's I, somebody I who doesn't want to pay to have their bins collected. <laughs> well, yeah. Excuse me. Then, yeah, that's about the size of it. But something has to be done with it. Like, I mean, there are farmers there now and they're throwing bags in over the ditch and the cows are chewing plastic bags and one man there now he had a child seat thrown in over the in over the hedge at, at his almost at his house. I mean, I what just, kind of people? I, I know. I, like? I just I can't understand the logic of it. And I mean, a lot of those car seats, if you ha- even give it into a charity shop, they might be able to sell it on. Or you could go on to one of those Act of Kindness pages. There's a brilliant yeah. one in the, the Act of Kindness page in Mallow is fantastic. You'll yeah. often see somebody will put up, you know, I have a car seat, not using it anymore. Somebody might get a use out of it, but don't yeah. be dumping it over, over a, a hedge I, somewhere. I saw yesterday morning, I took bottles to recycling and a bike, a child's bike, they left it there just beside the bottle bank. Oh, just and, a, and an empty cardboard box with him, like <laughs> it defies logic. But what's but what's equally defying logic done, like. is the council coming out cleaning it up. When they clean it up, they need to take it away immediately. Absolutely, absolutely. And like at another occasion, they came, they took the bags, but there was tiles, there was car tiles as well. But they couldn't take the car tiles. Someone else said to come apart and have them take the car tiles. I mean, what's that about, like? And like something has to be done with it. I mean, I know everybody in every community has a problem with rubbish, but it's 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 neither fair nor right that people who are paying their household charge the same as some we are paying the same household charge two miles out from Mallow as people living in the town. So surely, like something, that, I don't know what the council can do or what, or what can be done, but something needs to be done. Like, it has to be stopped. Yeah, you, you, hidden cameras often, we often hear that mentioned, put up CCTV and try and catch the people, go through the rubbish. I you see, I just don't think there's enough prosecutions. People know they're going to get away with it. And what often happens in an area like what you're describing in Mount Nagel, all it will take is one person to dump one bag of rubbish and then if somebody says, oh, that's where you can dump rubbish. And people add to it and add to it unless you clean it up really, really quickly. And I think it's disgraceful and very civic-minded of that family that live in the house locally. Well, all and they're the, cleaning it up. All, all the residents on that road from time to time. It's not got, fair. Can't go with a cattle trailer and go and throw it on a Saturday and they gather up the rubbish. And it's the same, the same two, maybe even three areas. You know what I mean? It, it's not anywhere at random. It's the same areas. So that kind of tells its own story as well. And nobody's seeing anything. Nobody's seeing who's doing the dumping. Well, no. And especially no, like the nights are getting long. You know, people aren't out, like. 
people, you know, and that that particularly I know in the summertime, an awful lot of people walk even from town or from come out and park the car and walk up Mount Nagel and there's somebody around up until nine o'clock at night would meet people walking and people walking greyhounds or whatever. They'd be around, but no, the nights are gone dark, so nobody's out after seven o'clock or six o'clock. Like. Yeah, great okay. opportunity. I don't know if we'll ever ever get to the bottom of it, but uh, the it's go- need to take a handling. Yeah, like, yeah, and if know. they go out and clean it up, you just need to take it take it away immediately, Absolutely. immediately. Absolutely. And I mean, they whoever, however, whether it's one, two, three workers, I don't know how many workers they send out. They have to go out and transport whatever kind of transport they bring. Bring transport that they can take the rubbish away with them. Absolutely. Listen, Pat, thanks for raising it. No and uh, Thank thanks uh, for joining us, uh, Pat in Mallow, 1850-333-103, the ongoing scourge of flight tipping. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Jobs. Stainless steel welders are wanted. This is for work in the Balanine area. While CE Tree Services, they're looking for ground staff. Jobs do come with immediate start. Part-time taxi driver is wanted. That's for a school run in the Charleville area. While a temporary accounts payable position that's available in Fromoy. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And thank you to Finbar in Ballancolic who was on uh, to say this is on the hospital trolley figures. I know we're hoping to have a piece uh, probably be after 12 at this stage on what was going on yesterday at all of the hospitals and I know Cork University Hospital was particularly bad with the number of people on trolleys. Finbar says how many of those on trolleys in our hospitals have private health insurance? What is the point in paying for private health insurance if you're going to be left on a trolley anyway? There was no waiting when there was an accident and emergency department inside in the bonds. Do we need to go back and look at that again? That's from Finbar and Balancolic. Thank you for that, Finbar, to 1850-333-103. Now, I want to move on because an online community of almost 100,000 women have set up a toy appeal with the aim to ensure that all homeless are sick children in this country will get a gift this Christmas. The Maz on a Mission Facebook page was founded by Suzanne Burke, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Suzanne. Good morning. How are you? I, I'm very well. And can I just say well done to you on this? It, it's, it's terrific. Explain to us what prompted you to start this toy appeal. Um, oh, there was lots of reasons. Basically, it's just we have a service um, that we use on the group. Um, it's called the Anons, we call them. And it's where women who can't, who are embarrassed to tell their story, they message us and we post on their behalf. And it's just the stories are just heartbreaking. You know, women, families in this country who don't have anything. Um, and it, it was just too much. Um, it, we were getting too many messages of families that have very little and the homeless crisis in this country is just, it's gone so bad. And we just talked with so many women in the group that we could just do something worthwhile. And then there was, it was also, I suppose, around the same time as the little boy, yes. I think, who struck a chord with yes. everyone. The little boy yes. eating his dinner off the, yes. the piece of cardboard on the street exactly. in Dublin. Yeah, We had originally thought of the Thai appeal and it was just something small within the group. And then when that picture came out, I suppose it just sparked outrage and then we decided let's just make this countrywide and let's make it bigger, you know, and help as many kids as we can. And it blew up from there. <laughs> and the, you're particularly trying to aim at families that are living in emergency accommodation, living in hotel rooms, in B&Bs. Yes, 
yeah, um, the smaller um, services, I suppose, are forgotten about and don't have much funding. Um, we do have big charities too, but um, it's the smaller ones and the shelters and the B&Bs and, you know, they're the, the children we're trying to focus on. Um, so we have almost 100 um, charities across the country, so every county is covered. And if we get more ties, we'll make it more charities. Um, so from every county, um, we have charities. In, we have a good few from Cork as well. Well done, well done. Yeah. And when you, the mothers who were contacting you on yeah. anonymously on your Facebook page, what kind of stories were they, were they telling you, Suzanne? Um, awful stories. I mean, pretty much everything. Um working families who are paying out so much rent and, you know, their mortgages or whatever just have nothing at the end of the week and can barely afford to feed their families. Um, we get a lot of them. We get a lot of young mothers who are stuck in B&Bs and have no support and nowhere to turn and they're kicked out with the B&Bs in the morning and they're obviously spending all of their money eating out because well, there's no fa- fast, and fast food. And you yes, you try and yes. do that every day of the week. You haven't got a lot of money left at the end of the week. No. So at the end of the week, they have nothing and they're worried about Christmas. You know, they're worried about what their kids are going to have on Christmas. Um, we got a lot of stories like that. Um, just women struggling all the time. You know, and children don't understand that no. Santa Claus is coming and very few children understand that maybe Santa Claus won't have the money this year. That's it and that's heartbreaking. You know, every child should have a, a Christmas and should have a toy and I just can't imagine a child waking up and I have kids myself, I can't imagine a child waking up on Christmas morning to nothing or very little. It's heartbreaking. You know, in this day and age you don't expect, you don't expect that but sadly it's happening all over the country. You have a big collection day for November 16th. Yes, yes. Um, all across the country, in almost every county, we have um, drop-off points. Um, and we have volunteers from each of those counties. And they have parties planned, they have fancies planned, <laughs> they have music. Um, it will be very festive and people can buy a tie and drop it off. Um, and them ties will be, giving, will be sent to a drop-off point uh, storage unit that was donated to us and volunteers then will sort all of the ties and on the 30th of November all the ties will be distributed to all the charities in the country. Did, did I read somewhere that you want a limit of €20 euro put on the toy? Um, no, it's a max of yeah, max, max of €20 euro, and that's yeah. just basically to, so that no child is you know, to make it fair on all children. Yeah, yeah so um, yeah, a max of €20 euro would be great. Um. We have age brackets, um, so we're dealing from babies up to 18, um, okay. so the teenagers are covered too. Um, yeah, let's not forgotten. forget Let's not forget the teenagers. Exactly. They deserve, you know. they, they yeah. deserve a Christmas as well. Of course. Uh, distributing the toys, is that going to be a bit of a nightmare for you, Suzanne? Um, I'm in talks at the moment with a company and I'm hoping that they come through for us. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm hoping that we have gotten offers of hundreds of vans. Have you? But I was hoping to deal with one or two companies yeah. because... Yeah, there's a lot involved. That would make it a, a little bit easier. Yeah, exactly. Now, here in Cork on November 16th, we've got the Blackpool Shopping Centre and Mahon Point Shopping Centre. That's right, from 10 to 1. Okay, so yeah. people can literally, you decide the age group of the child, go out up to a maximum of 20 euro, buy the toy and then drop it off. That's it. 
Yes, we also have a GoFundMe, and it, it was originally set up for people for women in my group who were living outside of the country and who couldn't drop a sky. Yeah, um, and that's I think that's reached sixteen thousand. Hey. Yeah, so, so you'll physically go out and buy toys, is it? With yeah, the, the yeah. group volunteers from the group are going to go to Home Savers because Home Savers have been very good to this appeal and have donated a lot. Okay. And they're going to live video stream it for the group and for social media and everything will be so live streamed. People can see what's been bought and whatever. Yes, and actually the GoFundMe, yeah. some people prefer to do it that way. They mightn't be able to get to Blackpool or to Mahan and they prefer to yeah. give you the money and you can you can do yeah. it, do it, buy what toys are needed. That's it. The money from the GoFundMe will be used on, say, for example, if teenagers, if we don't have enough for yeah. teenagers, yeah. um, it'll cover that age bracket. So everyone's covered. All right, it's it is terrific. Come here, I have to ask you about Maz on a mission. <laughs> you, you now this Facebook page was only set up earlier this year, isn't it? It's not even yeah. a year old yet. T- yeah. And you are the founder of it. T- tell yeah. me about Maz on a mission. Um, it's basically a place where you wouldn't want to be too sensitive, or you know, everything <laughs> like there's nothing off limits in that group. <laughs> okay, and um, it's a they vent and ask advice and. They have the crack. Um, it's a very, very busy group. On average, we get between 150,000 and 200,000 comments per week. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, and it's it's just for us women? Yes, just women. Is it just for Maz? Or do you, no, 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 no. It's um, for all women. And um, they just love it. It just, you know, the women just love it. It's great crack for them. And then they, they have some laugh on it. And then the the goodness and the kindness of, of women very much coming to the fore when, when you do something like this. Exactly. Have you ever been involved in anything on this scale before? No, never. No, never. I really have thrown myself in the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> what part of the country are you in, Suzanne? I'm in Offaly right now, but I'm a Kildare woman. I'm from Kildare. Well, I'm telling you, you've, you've, you've hit on something here that is... Is is amazing. So you've got to be congratulated. It's probably oh, is it you. taking over your life at the moment? Oh, like every waking hour. Yeah, <laughs> it's a huge operation, and it just I haven't even had time to sit down for two minutes. <laughs> well done, well done. Well, you're doing something really good. Maz on Thank a mission you. is the Facebook page if people uh, want to find out more about it. But Blackpool Shopping Centre, Mahan Point Shopping Centre, November the sixteenth. That's the Saturday. I'm assuming, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yes, between 10 and 1, one. one you said. OK, yeah. listen, we wish you luck. We might check in with you again to see how it all goes, uh, Suzanne, uh, when you've time to take your breath and take a breather. But well done. <laughs> you're doing you're doing fantastic work. Congratulations Thank you to so you. Much. Thank God you. bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's uh, Suzanne Burke, the founder, and she's also the she administrates the website Maz on a Maz on a mission. I just think the name of it when when it, when it caught my attention. It was the name of the Facebook page that caught my attention. I think initially when I saw it, I thought it was I thought it was uh, really terrific. But I think it's a lovely idea. There are so many children in this country who will be going without this Christmas. And for those of us that are in a situation that we can help, here's an opportunity. And what I particularly like about this one is this isn't going to break anyone's bank. The most they're saying is you can spend is you don't have to spend 20 euro, but it's up to a maximum of 20 euro because they want if they're giving toys into a household where there might be two or three children, that all the children have have similar toys. But it's isn't it so sad 
to see here and think that we have families who are, you know, have to turn to a group. Obviously, it's a group that they feel very safe in, but they're turning for help because they are, you know, so desperate. I say to people every year, because we would hear on the radio station every now and again, get some heartbreaking letters in and phone calls and emails from people who, local people who are finding themselves in a tough situation. And I always direct people to your nearest branch of the Society of St Vincent de Paul who do the most amazing work and I sometimes think I don't know if it's pride because it's I'm slow to say it's pride but sometimes people find it very hard to go to their local Vincent de Paul and when we would suggest to them you know, have you tried St. Vincent de Paul? They would always kind of say, oh no, that's for people. That's the, St. Vincent de Paul wouldn't be for me. That's for people much worse off than me. And and it's not. If there is a need, your local St. Vincent de Paul will be there. And and I know the, the, the Lions Clubs all over across Cork City and County will also be doing amazing work at Christmas. There's a lot of really good, kind, generous people out there. But people need to ask for the help. And I know it's hard to ask for the help, but please reach out because there's just there's an amazing generosity and there are people that can help you. We want everybody to have a, a happy and a peaceful Christmas. And we certainly don't want to think of any child going without this year. So there's a way of helping from the toys point of view with the Maz on a mission Facebook page. What began as a missing persons inquiry on the 14th of May last year after Anna Creagel left her house for the last time and never came home ended yesterday with the sentencing of two teenage boys for her murder. To outline what happened, I'm joined by our court reporter, Frank Graney. Good morning to you, Frank. Good morning. Uh, And you're welcome. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is such a distressing story, but I suppose... Start by just reminding listeners of the circumstances of Anna's death and how we ended up where we ended up yesterday. Sure. Well, um, Anna Kriagel was 14 years of age when she went missing on May 14th of last year. Um, she was living um, in her home in Leakslip with her parents, Geraldine and Patrick. Um, we heard through Geraldine uh, Kriagel's evidence at the outset of the trial that they adopted 
uh, Anna from her homeland of Russia when she was two and a half years of age. And on the evening in question, we heard that she made a number of attempts to uh, call her mother. Her mother was in a meeting, was in a position to answer her phone, uh, but she decided that she would. Um, she did try to call her back. She was unsuccessful. And when she came home, and Patrick, her husband, told her that Anna had left the house with Boy B, who had called for her that evening, uh, she said that she became immediately concerned. And this was one of the most uh, poignant aspects of the case. The reason that she was so concerned was not only that Boy B had called for the house, had called the house, having never called there before but also the fact that anybody had called to the house because, as she said, um, Anna craved friendship but struggled to make friends. She was endlessly bullied in school, so she was immediately concerned when she learned that somebody had called for the house. Had called for the house. She sent her a text that had two words, home now. Um, Anna didn't reply. She made a number of attempts to get a hold of her. She went out looking for her. Um, she reported her as a missing person when she didn't come home that evening, and Anna's body was found in a derelict farmhouse in Lucan, three kilometres from her home at three days uh, later, a murder investigation obviously got underway. The two boys were identified as suspects. Boy B was spoken to um, while the case was still being treated as a missing person investigation. On that evening of May 14th of last year, when Gardy spoke to him, he made no reference to uh, Boy A. He said that he'd gone to the park with Anna, but that they'd both gone home, um, and he didn't know where she was. He didn't know what had happened to her, and that was the first, I suppose, in an avalanche of lies that he told Gardy. His versions of events changed. Uh, so often it was very difficult to um, to know where the truth began and, and the lies ended. Um, he was interviewed on eight occasions after his arrest and re-arrest, and the case that was built against him was essentially uh, came from his own uh, mouth. Um, the detectives that interviewed him extracted details about his involvement that was used as evidence against him during the trial and ultimately led to his conviction of Anna's murder uh, back in June. Boy A, then his co-accused, was convicted of murder and of aggravated sexual uh, assault and that led to uh, the sentences that were handed down yesterday boy a sentenced to a life but the court has ordered for a review of his sentence to take place after 12 years a uh, boy b then was sentenced to 15 years for anna's murder uh, but a review will take place in relation to his case after eight years a uh, boy a was also handed an eight-year period of detention for the aggravated sexual assault uh, but that will run concurrently to his uh, sentence for uh, anna's murder and the boys will go down in uh, history, Frank, the youngest ever in the history of the state to be convicted of murder. Uh, that's right. At just 13 years of age, when they committed what can only be described as a heinous and an evil act on Anna Kriagel, they are the youngest convicted murderers in the history of the state. They're 15 years of age now. That was obviously something that the judge had to take into account when he was constructing what he considered to be appropriate sentences for the two boys, because if these were adults convicted of murder the judge would obviously have had no discretion. His hands would have been tied when it came to sentencing and he would have been in a position to hand down a mandatory life sentence a long time ago. But given their ages, um, he had to take an awful lot into consideration. The Children Act actually states that a period of detention for a child convicted of a criminal offence um, must be a punishment of last resort. But obviously the judge looked at the magnitude of what these two boys did. The Act does not state specifically how to deal with child murderers. But clearly, given the fact that they've been convicted of the most serious criminal offence uh, that the, uh, the state has, uh, he decided that a non-custodial option was not available to them. He spent an awful long time going through the decision-making process, how he arrived at the sentences that he handed down uh, yesterday. Um, but he began his judgment by paying tribute to Anna. And I thought it was a really nice and a classy touch from him because through my experience covering cases, 
where sentencing hearings can become quite clinical. Um, they're bogged down with legal jargon. Legal principles are discussed and outlined. Pieces of legislation are open, section this, section that. What can happen is the, the victim's life, and this is indeed you know, something that happens during the course of a trial as well, sadly, is that a jury is so focused on the events leading up to a person's death or how they died or who is responsible for it, and, and rightly so, they have to leave emotion to one side. Geraldine Creagel, through her evidence, ensured that this case did not follow suit. She ensured that Anna's memory was very much alive throughout the lengthy trial. When she delivered a victim impact statement at last week's sentence hearing as well, she spelled, she spoke so eloquently. About Why, wasn't that victim impact statement stunning? It, it, it really was. I, I don't think there's any other word to describe it. And she delivered it herself. Um, sometimes, you know, um, the families of those who have been taken away I choose to have their words read out on their behalf. But no, she took to the witness box and she delivered the victim impact statement herself. And it was really eloquent. It was really beautiful. It gave us a little bit more insight into the life, albeit the short life that Anna led. Um, She cracked a smile when she remembered how Anna used to dance and practice her dance moves on the landing of the home they gave her in Leakslip. And and she spoke at great length about how much she enjoyed life, how much she loved all of those around her. Uh, she read out a really poignant paragraph, um, an exercise that Anna had prepared for school. She was in first year in secondary school, and they were asked to write about their hopes for the future. And she spoke about how she hoped to have a dog and get married someday and, 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 and study in Paris University like her, her father, Patrick. And she said that she hoped that she would meet nice people along the way. Uh, and sadly, I have a lump in my throat even talking about it today, sadly she did not meet nice people on on the evening of May 14th of last year. And Frank, did the boys show any remorse for what for what they did? That's a very good question because that's something that the judge would have obviously had to take into account when he was constructing sentences because there was very little offered in the way of mitigation in relation to the two boys. They weren't obviously um, able to avail of the significant discount that they would have received if they had pleaded guilty to these offences from the outset. They contested them. That is their right. And the judge couldn't punish them for contesting them, but he also couldn't give them the benefit of any sort of a discount. So the only real mitigating factors that were taken into consideration were their ages. The Children Act specifically states that uh, young offenders must get significant mitigation for the fact that they're considered children in the eyes of the law. Again, they're just 15 years of age, 13 at the time uh, they killed Anna Kriagel. Um But the uh, mitigation in this case was very limited. And also the fact that they show very little or no remorse um, was taken into account by the judge. He would have been in a position to offer some sort of a discount if they did. We heard through the course of various assessments that Boy A, that have been carried out on Boy A since his conviction in June, that he does now accept some responsibility for what happened to Anna, that he did cause her death. But he insists that it was unintentional, uh, that he killed her accidentally uh, while they fought in that dark and dirty derelict farmhouse in Lucan where her naked body was found on May 14th of last year. Clearly, intention is one of the most important ingredients in a murder conviction. So it's safe to say that while he does accept his responsibility to a certain degree, he doesn't fully accept the um, jury's verdict in relation to the murder conviction. He 100% does not accept that he has sexually assaulted Anna Kriagel. He still maintains his innocence in relation to that, even though forensic evidence would suggest otherwise, and even though the jury returned their verdict of beyond a reasonable doubt. Boy B then does not accept the jury's verdict at all. He maintains to this day that he played no part 
in Anna Kriyazha's murder. And the important thing to bear in mind there uh, in relation to their stances and the important thing that the judge would have had to consider is that if you don't accept responsibility for something that you have been accused of and convicted of doing, then how can you possibly show remorse? So that's something that the judge would have taken into consideration. He took lots into consideration. Uh, the assessments revealed that they showed no um, mental health issues uh, uh, growing up. And, and he did say that there's an awful lot of work now for both of the boys, but he's given them every opportunity, in fairness to him, by, by, by structuring their sentences in such a way that they can come back before the courts in the case of boy A in 12 years' time, in the case of boy B in eight years' time. The ball has very much been put in their court now. Every effort and every facility and service will be made available to them while they're detained at Oberstown Children's Centre and after they've been transferred to the adult pr- pr- uh, prison when they turn 18. So they both have the prospect of returning to their families and returning to uh, their lives. The judge said yesterday that much depended on their behaviour and their attitude throughout those periods of detention. They'll have to accept 100% their wrongdoing and be genuinely remorseful for it. And that's important too, genuine remorse, because while Boy A did express some remorse for what he did to Anna during the course of his assessments before at the sentence hearing last week, um, the judge did feel that it was self-serving, that it was possibly done with a view to uh, the sentence, the sentencing yesterday. He said to them yesterday, um, one of the final things he said to them was that uh, they would have the opportunity to reconstruct their lives in a positive way. He said, and he addressed them both directly, you have the opportunity for a second chance, something you so wrongfully and cruelly denied to Anna Kriyajal. Absolutely. They, they'll go home to their families. Uh, Anna never will. And uh, as was said yesterday, forever uh, is just not long enough. Um, and one of our listeners says, this is such a terrible case. Uh, the Gardaí are very often criticised, but I think they did a wonderful job on the Anna Kriyashin case. Here, yeah. uh, so I, I think, so I think sad that is a very good They point were today. incredible, weren't they? I mean, even the way they did the interviewing and the way they went to the car, they went in a rental car so that none of the neighbours would know what was going on. Oh, absolutely. And it's something that the judge paid tribute to yesterday and indeed Geraldine Kriegel when she spoke to the gathered media on the the steps of the courthouse afterwards yesterday afternoon. The first thing she did was thank the uh, guard, the the investigating guard, Mark O'Neill and his team for a very thorough and a professional uh, job. I think credit in particular should go to the two detectives who interrogated Boy B, Detective Donald Daly and Detective Damien Gannon, because... They gave a masterclass in interrogation during the course of the age guard interviews and they would have been quite restricted in what they could do during those interviews because of the fact that this was a minor. He was 13 years of age at the time, so that brought its own difficulties uh, to bear, obviously. But they were very professional in the way they extracted that information. And remember, there was no forensic or direct evidence linking Boy B to the crime scene or to what happened to Anna Kriegel. All of the evidence that was presented against him came from his own mouth and all of that evidence was extracted very professionally and very masterfully by those two detectives, Detective Daly and Detective uh, Gannon. Like, Boy B is an incredibly intelligent boy. That's something that the judge acknowledged yesterday. He has an above-average intelligence. He has a high IQ. Um, his, the way he constructed this cover-up story afterwards um, was very vindictive, very deceitful. And he maintained that story. And the Gardaí gave him every opportunity to tell the truth on a number of occasions. Even though lies were exposed, they said, this is your chance. We want to hear you tell the truth. He chose not to. What Boy B would do, and what he probably thought was a very clever thing to do, was he would take the Gardaí to a certain point, And that was where the evidence brought them. And then the Gardaí would reveal a certain piece of evidence that contradicted what he told them. So Boy B would then take them on a little 
bit more of the journey without revealing the full version of events until he got to a point in his later interviews when he must have realised that the Gardaí had an awful lot of detail and an awful lot of evidence. And that's when he started to reveal certain things that would have been used against him um, during the trial, particularly, and this was crucial, that Boy A had told him a month beforehand that he intended to kill Anna Creasel. So it was very hard for him to argue that when he knocked on her door just after 5 o'clock in the evening of May 14th of last year, it was very hard for him to argue that he didn't know what was in store for Anna Creasel when he brought her three kilometres away to that derelict farmhouse where Boy A was waiting. And the other one that a lot of people are talking about, Frank, the, these boys have anonymity for life. That, that's right. Um, their identities will be protected by law. They were protected throughout and they will. that protection remains um, right into the future. An awful lot of people have been asking me if their identities will be revealed when they turn 18 years of age. They've, you know, a lot of people have been asking or talking about the Jamie Bulger case, but it was yeah. the public that identified uh, Jamie Bulger's killers. Um, their identities will be protected. Um, certain issues um, have already been raised with the court, particularly on social media, with um, pictures being shared, purporting to be uh, the two boys. Prosecutions will be pursued in relation to those cases. So the very stark warning that was made from the very outset that their identities will be protected uh, because of their age, that protection will remain even after they turn 18 years of age. Would they be given new identities when they're released? Uh, that, that I don't know. Um, that's obviously up to the relevant uh, authorities. But certainly from my own point of view um, and from the media in general, we have not been in a position to reveal any detail that could lead to the identification yeah. of the boys. There are court orders in place, uh, but there is also specific legislation uh, outlining our responsibilities. And that's their, their responsibilities that every Irish citizen has to abide by, whether you agree with them or not, the law is the law. Yeah, I can see by the calls coming in, there's a lot of people don't agree with it, but as you say, them's are the laws. Uh, Frank, listen, thank you for that. And uh, I know it hasn't been easy for you. Are you glad it's all over? I, I, I certainly am, but from my own point of view, yes, it was a very difficult, harrowing case to cover. I, I can easily say it's the most difficult case that I have uh, covered in, in, in my career, and that says a lot, given some of the cases that I've covered down through the years. I found Geraldine Creagel's evidence, the fact that she brought Anna's life into the courtroom particularly difficult, um, and given the ages and, and just what happened, and you look at all of the pictures doing the rounds today of Anna's beautiful, yeah. big smile and her eyes dancing in every photograph, I never met Anna Creagel. I wish I had. Oh. The judge never met Anna Creagel. But you could tell from the words that he expressed yesterday from the bench that he felt like he knew her and that he felt this case and what happened to her has affected everyone right across the country. And I think that's safe to say because you could just see that she exuded happiness. She craved friendship. She loved life. What an amazing life that she would have led if it wasn't so cruelly taken away. I have definitely been impacted by, uh, by that trial. But my thoughts are with the Creagels today. I don't know how they sat through those proceedings. Their nightmare didn't begin in April at the beginning of the trial. Their nightmare began on May 14th of last year when Geraldine Creagel came home uh, from work and her husband, Patrick, told her that, that Anna had left with Boy B. That's when their nightmare uh, truly began. They've been handed lifelong sentences. The boys, you would imagine, will be released back into society at some point down the future and will be able to rebuild their lives the Creagels will not. No. They will never get Anna back. And that's the okay. true, um, that's well the true tragedy of this case. Well said. Listen, thank you for that, Frank. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is our, our court reporter, Frank uh, Graney. As once again, we remember uh, Anna Creagel. May she rest in peace.
and uh, to her family. However, they managed to pick up the pieces uh, that they had. They try and get on with their lives. It's just a dreadful, dreadful case. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. An amount of people reacting to our piece with Frank Graney, the Cork reporter, court reporter, uh, who was outlining what happened yesterday with the sentencing of boy A and boy B. And I can see the amount of people who are quite upset about the fact that boy A and boy B will have anonymity for life. But that's the rules. That's what's in place. It's the fact that they were children when they committed these crimes. Even when they turn 18, they will continue to have uh, anonymity. Some of your thoughts coming in on the anacrasial uh, case. Heidi says, good morning, Patricia. The boys that committed this cruel, cruel crime, did they ever say why they did it to this young girl and why they took her life? No. I mean, that's the one thing. And that's the one thing I felt for the for the creations yesterday. Not that it would have made any difference uh, to them. But right throughout the court case, both of them pleaded uh, not not guilty. Neither of them ever said why they uh, did it. And I mean, bearing in mind that the judge yesterday said that the assault on Anna was, and I quote, prolonged, callous and brutal. He also described it as sustained and vicious. I mean, because I know when you were speaking with some of the investigating Gardaí, some of them say that they will never be the same again following this case with what they had to witness when they went in and when they found her in that squalid, squalid derelict house and the condition that she was in it was just shocking the court heard and then as to you know people are saying why what's in their background I mean there's somebody else let me see there's some more of your your texts in on uh, this you know what's in the, the those young people's backgrounds somebody's saying you know what kind of families did they come from and my heartfelt sympathies goes to her parents they will never get over it. that's in from uh, Michael and uh, Tim says I think the reviews of the sentence of boy A and boy B will result in giving them new identity and then secretly sending them to perhaps Canada, Australia to another country. Boy B knew what was to happen and he should have tried to stop it. Parents and teachers must have ignored some signs in the boys that would have given some indication of the way they were, th- what they were thinking. The description once of the reaction of one of the fathers would suggest he would not hear anything against his father, um, anything against his son, says Tim. But isn't that what we do as parents? You know, you, what parent wants to believe that their child is capable of an assault that a judge describes as callous and brutal, sustained and vicious. None of us would want to believe that we could raise a child who could do that. And I suppose from the parents' point of view, you can love the sinner without loving the sin. And then I suppose you'll do everything you can to try to protect um, there, there's no, absolutely no, no uh, winners out of this. But, you know, as Frank Graney was saying those boys, boy A and boy B, you know, if it goes the way it's expected to go with this review taking place after 12 years and after eight years, it is very possible that both of these boys who are now 15 will be in their mid-20s when they'll be released and be able to pick up the pieces. And, you know, when they're in detention now, when they're in Oberstown, they will you know, they'll go on and they'll do their leaving, they'll do their junior certs, I suppose, first. They'll do their leaving certs. They'll probably go on and do university degrees while in jail. So they'll probably get an education. I mean, Boy B, they always talk about Boy B being above average intelligence. So I'm assuming they'll get a good education whilst in jail. And then they'll go on and they'll pick up the pieces of their lives. But for the for the creations, Anna's never coming home. She's just never coming home. And the and her parents 
have to try to pick up the pieces uh, from that. Um, and then, you know, people trying to say what what's in their background? What could have caused this to happen? The judge or the court heard that boy A had no history of mental disorder. Now, boy A is the one who is accepting well, accepting some kind of uh, guilt. Anyway, no uh, no history of a mental disorder. He had a type of dyslexia and he suffered from attention deficient disorder. But these were no explanation for his behaviour. The judge says the boy, boy now accepted responsibility for assaulting Anna, but said he was not satisfied boy A had told the truth as a good deal of what he said had been self-serving. So he started to fess up and say that he did this or he didn't do that or this was his fault, that wasn't his fault. But he was only doing that in the hope that he would get a lesser uh, sentence. Uh, sentence. Um, so yeah, no explanation for anything in their past or anybody saw anything schools or whatever you know all of that would have been taken into consideration and it was why the case took so long and it was why the Gardaí had to do so much hard work and all the different reports that were brought in to to find out what you know what was there anything to indicate why they did or what they did and actually somebody when we were complimenting the Gardaí and the Gardaí working on this case do really really have to be uh, commended and the Creasials were the first to say that somebody has said hi Patricia just to let you know one of those wonderful detectives is actually one of our own Donald Daly from Newmarket I didn't realise that so well done to Donald Daly um, one of the detectives and the rest of the uh, detectives who just did the most amazing job in bringing this this case I'm getting some kind of closure it's not full closure but I suppose it brings some kind of closure to the Creasial uh, family 1850 John Paul taking your calls uh, what has come in on calls this morning on oh this is on private health insurance this is responding to Fimber wasn't it earlier Fimber was on from Ballancolic and he was talking about the hospital trolley figures and the fact that and actually we do have a report which I hopefully will get to before the close of the programme uh, today about getting winter ready at Cork University Hospital uh, by the HSE but Fimber was on about the hospital trolley figures for yesterday they were some of the, the second highest we've seen for this year and when you look at yesterday was what the 5th of November so we're not even into we're kind of coming into the start of the winter season we haven't had a really bad cold spell yet and please God we won't but like the flu season hasn't hit yet and we know that traditionally what happens when when the flu season and when we get into if we get a very hard winter we will have more and more people trying to access A&E and trying to get into hospital and that usually presents with a trolley crisis whereas we seem to have had a trolley crisis right throughout the summer when traditionally we shouldn't be having trolley crises. So there's something, you know, worse this year than we had on previous years. And Fimber contacted us and was wondering, if you, t- if you took a look at all the people that were on trolleys yesterday, how many of them had private health insurance? And he was saying, what's the point of paying private health insurance if you're going to be left languishing on a trolley? And he went on to say that, you know, when the bonds had an A&E department, there was nobody waiting on trolleys. Well, somebody wants to pick up Fimber on that. Dennis in Mitchellstown says, is Fimber trying to say that if you have private health insurance, then you should get preferential treatment? over a family that, say, doesn't have private health insurance. He says, remember one thing, the Cork hospitals, all of the A&E departments, they were all built and are funded by taxpayers' money. So people with private health insurance should not be getting any preferential treatment. Everyone should and is treated equally inside in an A&E department. 
Dennis also, by the way, believes that we shouldn't have private health insurance at all in this country. Everybody should be equal. And we certainly are getting more and more uh, a two-tiered health system. OK, it doesn't kick in in the A&E department. And I think absolutely Dennis is right. If you are in an accident in an emergency, you're there because of an emergency and everybody should be treated the same. And if that does mean languishing on a trolley, then so be it. There shouldn't be any preferential treatment given just because you can afford private health insurance and the poor devil in on the trolley beside you can't. You shouldn't be given the bed uh, over him. I absolutely agree with that. But we definitely are if you need to get to see a consultant and you have your private health insurance, you'll get in straight away. You won't be joining the long, long list of people that don't have private health insurance. And that's where we have a two tiered health system and, you know, call it out for what it is, because that's exactly what it is. And we used to we're always critical of the United States of America and their health system, because if, if you don't have private health cover, you can forget about it. You'd nearly die on the streets over there. We're getting very close to that, unfortunately, in this country as well. That's uh, for sure. Uh, Tim says this is, thank you, by the way, uh, Dennis uh, in Mitchestown for your call. Tim says that he'd be the first to throw a few bob into St. Vincent uh, de Paul. Oh, this is um when I was talking about the toy appeal that we had and that the toy appeal from the Mars on a mission and I was saying go to St Vincent de Paul if you're in uh, need. Uh, Tim feels though some people now I, he, I won't say a lot because I, I disagree that it's a lot and, and I don't ever want to take from the great work of the Society of St Vincent de Paul but he feels there are some people who go to St Vincent de Paul who simply don't deserve to get the help and listen we've covered that Tim many times in the past on the programme the volunteers at V2P are doing the best job that they can do. They do their very best to check out the people that they're, you know, they're giving money to or hampers to or toys to. Will there be always be people that will abuse the system? Of course they will. But that's the way with all charities. There will always be people there that will abuse it. But that doesn't mean that we should stop donating to any of these charities just because there are people in there, sadly, that will go on to abuse the system. It's just, they'll always be there. And, uh, you know, I would wish them nothing but bad karma for it, that's for sure. 1850-333-103, lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Anam Cara, the group that support bereaved parents after the death of a child, they're hosting a parent support evening in the Clayton Hotel in the city. That's on tonight at 20 past seven. All bereaved parents, regardless of the age of your child or the circumstances of your death, are welcome to attend. Copying Archaeological, Historical and Cultural Society are presenting a talk by Seamus Coakley speaking about the Castletown Copying area before the formation of the GAA clubs and other events of those days. It's on uh, tonight in Copying at half past eight and their annual table quiz is on this Friday night, nine o'clock, tables of four, 20 euro, please. Mallow Tidy Towns, they're holding their annual table quiz tomorrow night, Thursday, Albert Lynch's Bar, half past eight. Loads of spot prizes who've been donated by all of the local shops and businesses. And a fundraising lip sync competition in aid of the Irish Kidney Association will be held in the Fernhill House Hotel in Clonakilty this Friday night at 8. Inquiries to 083 
0818-3949723. All donations and sponsorship would be gratefully appreciated. And just a final few comments in on the sentencing of Boy A and Boy B for Anna Creation's a murder. Jim says, Patricia, you said that Boy A and Boy B can't be named for life. Yeah, they have anonymity for life. What if Anna's parents decided to write a book about their grief and they will have that grief and they will take it to the grave, says Jim. Uh, what if they did it without naming the boys? Who will be the person to stop them from revealing their names? They should be named as Anna was the victim when her name was destroyed along with her life, says uh, Jim. The, the judge has been very strict and the courts have been very strict about making sure that these boys are never, ever named could Anna's parents be prosecuted if they decided to name the boys? I imagine, yes. No, God, that would be an interesting case, would it not, if that ever happened? Um, thank you, Jim, for your text. And John O'Donovan says criminals should be named no matter what age they are. Boy A and Boy B have been given more respect than Anna because they've not been named. No one knows anything about them. We know everything about Anna. It was splashed all over the papers. Uh, John also feels the age of criminality should be lowered. While John from Kenturk says those two young fellas should be put into a barrel of... Uh, OK. Uh, Anna's family will be suffering for the rest of her lives and these two boys will be free at some stage in the future. There should be no freedom. What they did to that girl, you wouldn't do to a dog. And Tom says boy A and boy B should be named. They could be walking alongside you or a family member and you wouldn't even know who they were. And Maura in Mallow says that a fund or a foundation should be sent up against bullying for children adopted from Russia. Maura says it was sad that Anna was bullied. She was such a vulnerable young woman. Yeah, she was with her whole life ahead of her. God help her. 1850-333-103. OK, I want to move on because Tracy in Watergrass Hill is uh, holding on the line. And Good afternoon to you, Tracy. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Now, this is to do with, we had another call in about this earlier on this morning as well. This is to do with some people who were stranded. Was it yesterday morning because a bus didn't show up? Yes, it's an ongoing issue with um, the 245 route. Um, the bus yesterday morning, which was due to take all the secondary school children from Formoy, or for, sorry, from Watergrass Hill towards Formoy to three different secondary schools in there, it just failed to show up. So uh, the bus was due at 8 o'clock or 10 to 8 and um, it never showed. Another bus arrived and just drove past them because it was full. Um, And a bus drove past them also that was completely empty with nothing written on the front. Um, The children all waited at the bus stop um, in poor conditions, obviously. It was a miserable Um, morning yesterday morning. A miserable morning, yes. And I, I, I myself was minding the youngest child at home because he's off school sick. So um, I got a text from my son to say there was no bus at the moment and there was a gang of school kids. I suppose there's 30 or 40 children bus in from possibly more. Okay. Um, so they waited and some went up to Centra and hung out in the local shop. Some were able to walk to their houses. My son came home eventually after nine o'clock and um, he was watching the bus air and app to see was there a bus coming soon and it kept pushing out the time that a bus was coming. So it was telling him 10 o'clock and then I was telling him half past 10 but in the meantime uh, a parent arrived and brought my son to school so he was in school probably probably for half past 10 yesterday So he missed the first couple of classes probably? Missed the first couple of classes yes and and the thing that is so annoying is that 
kids get stressed out because they get late cards when they arrive to school ah. and it causes them upset. So, I, I mean, I've got various um, notifications from different parents last night when they knew that I had to speak on this topic. And they had huge issues. I, I mean, myself, I had a daughter going to Loretto in Formoy for six years. She's now trying to bus from Watergrass Hill into Cork City to UCC. And the same bus route is causing problems going in both directions. So kids are having to be late for classes constantly and get late cards. Uh, what do any workers use? I'm just thinking of employers mightn't be. It's bad enough to be missing days at school and days at college, but I'm wondering how employers would feel. Well, you're dead right, because there's people who are trying to get into work and to hospital appointments, and that was, that point was raised also, and there was somebody waiting at the bus last week for a hospital appointment, and the bus was 35 to 40 minutes late heading in towards the city. So they the knock on then they were late getting to their appointment. Yeah, yeah. I mean we have a we have a service, and it, it I suppose it's a country village. It's not a bad service. It probably runs every hour, Saturday and Sunday. It's the worst service. But if you could rely on the bus arriving at the times it's supposed to arrive, sometimes it doesn't show at all, and the bus is just cancelled. So that's not good enough, you know. And would you get any notice to say the bus is going to be cancelled? Absolutely no notice. Now, I'll tell you, my son um, is 16 and he has a part-time job in Formoy. So he relies on that bus to get in and out because I work shift work. I maybe work on Saturday or Sunday myself. So his Sunday shift would start at 10.30 or 11 in the morning. But there's no bus going from Watergrass Hill to Formoy until 11.30, which arrives in Formoy at 11.50. That's the first bus on a Sunday. So that's, like, that needs to be improved upon. Yeah. If he starts work on a Saturday, if he starts work on a Saturday morning at 10.30 or 11 in the morning, the first, or the bus that he should get is the 10 a.m. bus, which would get him in at 10.20. But he can't rely on that bus arriving on time or arriving at all. So he has to get the 9 a.m. bus to be at work for 10.30 or 11. And then hang around. And hang around, because you just can't rely on our service. And you obviously have tried to contact Bus Aaron. Have you ever got any explanation as to why the bus is a bit hit and, hit and miss? I, I have. I had um, a lady contact me yesterday. Um, uh, numerous people have contacted Bus Aaron and they've had very, very little joy from them. So a woman contacted me yesterday and she had numerous issues. Um, she lives outside the village and there's a hail and ride kind of service operates outside the village. So there's no designated stop. You you, you put up your hand on the bus. Yeah, bus it'll stop. Once yeah. it's in a safe space. And there's room and on the bus. it brings you in. Yeah, so her children would board the school bus. It's a designated school bus they actually get. And it takes them in from one in the morning. But if those children do after school study or an activity after school, and they get on the 245 bus to bring them home, there's a particular driver that refuses to stop outside of the villages of Rathcormac or Watergrass Hill to leave them off. So her son, who's only 14 and who has dyspraxia and gets stressed in these situations, is told by the driver, no, he's only going to either let him off in Rathcormac, Watergrass Hill or bring him into the city. And she had, she had actually spoken to Alan Reardon in Capwell. Has she complained? Yeah, she complained. Area manager. Yeah. She did complain. Yeah. Uh, she was on to the area manager then, Tim O'Leary, and he's the area manager for the 245 service. And he sent her a, sh- a short email. She sent it back to me. This was back in April. He replied and he said that he'll follow up on, on the events she described. And he clarified that outside the built-up areas, the 245 operates a, a hail and ride. Um, 
But he, she said no response since April. So that was the only response she had from him. And, and, and a, a hail and ride works both ways. You can hail it and get on, but also you can tell them to stop. I need to get off. Well, you'd imagine so, and you'd imagine all the drivers would be briefed that that's yeah. the way they operate that system. Okay, we do we've sent an email off, but I don't think we've had anything back yet from them. We've sent an email. No, we're, 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 we've highlighted uh, it. But I'm just... I'm, I'm just... Have you ever had an explanation when a bus simply doesn't turn up? Is that a driver is not has phoned in sick or something and they don't have a, a replacement driver, or is it a bus breaks down? Or has, I actually you... don't know, Patricia. I had heard from other parents that they had emailed and made complaints and got nowhere. So I suppose I was quite complacent up until yesterday morning myself because it was the last draw. Um, so I decided to to make a complaint myself, but um. I don't think there's any joy coming from Bus Erin or any, any kind of explanation given when a bus doesn't show up. You know, I mean, there, actually, there was one parent emailed me this morning and told me that um, after the, the incident yesterday morning, her child had to be driven into school, and then he did after-school study, and then the 6.30 bus, which was supposed to bring him back from Formoy to Waterford Hill, actually never arrived, so she had to drive in again and collect them. Do you know what's really, what's really frustrating listening to you? We're hearing the government banging on constantly about the climate action and the changes we have to make and trying to encourage people, get out of your cars, give up your cars, get on the bus, you know, cycle yeah. or whatever, but, you know, use public transport. And here you have people who, you know, as students, it isn't a school bus, it's, it's the public bus. They're, you know, as families, you could be all driving cars in all of the time and um, how bad that would be for, for the environment. And yet, when you try to use the bus, the bus isn't there for you. And people are paying out for a weekly ticket. I think it's costing €25 Euro a week for one child, OK? So then you're saying the bus didn't arrive one morning and it didn't arrive that evening. So you, you would just lose that um, one day pass that you paid for. So you're paying for a service that you're not really getting either. Yeah, it's very unfair. Okay, we'll uh, we'll set, bang out another email and just try and move them on a bit and see if we can get yeah. some kind of a reply. In the meantime, Tracy, thank you for that, and thanks thank for joining you, us uh, on the program. That is uh, Tracy from Watergrass Hill over that the two four five bus, which uh, serves the schools of Formoy, just simply didn't show up yesterday. I mean, that is just not good enough. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Christine in Cork says, "Hi, Patricia. Could you remind us where the pickup for the toys that you spoke about earlier, and what's the website? The website, well, the website. It's it's a Facebook page. Maz on a mission. If you Maz M A, like as in mother, Ma with an S. Maz on a mission is the Facebook page. So you can you can get into it from there. And the collection is Blackpool Shopping Centre." Mahan Point Shopping Centre and it's Saturday the 16th so it's Saturday not this Saturday Saturday week between 10 and 1 in the morning and you just decide what age group of child you want to buy for and please don't spend more than 20 euro that's what they're asking to a maximum if you want to just spend a tenner that's fine but if you're going to go don't go more than 20 euro on your toy and don't forget the teenagers because I think the teenagers can often get forgotten in all of these and teenagers living in homeless situations and emergency accommodation with their parents are having a really, really tough time at the moment. So let's remember them as well. Okay, we are going to take a break and we are back. Peter Dowdell is joining us live in studio today. So if you have a gardening question, get it in to us. John Paul and Mairead, both taking your calls today. 1850 Text or WhatsApp a gardening question to 0862 103 103. 
Hello, this is Eric Griffin. Join me Monday to Friday between 7 and 8 for some great songs on C103 Anthems. Hello, this is Sean Keane. Hello, this is Cathy Durkin. Hi, this is Louise Morrissey. Hi, this is Mick Flavin. Hello, this is Declan Ernie here and you're listening to Eric Griffin on Country and Irish on C103. Don't miss Anthems at 7 and the very best of Country and Irish from 8 right here on C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And Peter Dowdell, our resident, uh, I was going to say vet, sorry about that Peter, <laughs> our resident gardener joins us in the studio. Uh, uh, g- good afternoon to you. It's got a miserable day to be out gardening, isn't it? It is miserable and if, if, just before I go into gardening, I, it feels wrong if I didn't mention the passing of poor Gable. Yeah. And uh, it's such a such a part of all of our lives of, of the last couple of generations. And I, I haven't really watched or heard much said about him, but if I can throw in my tuppence worth, it was... Please um, I think what made him great was there was many things, but he had the ability to listen as a as a presenter. And, you know, he, he'd go into an interview and I'm sure he'd be well researched and he'd have his list of five or six questions. But if question one or question two went off on a tangent and was going the right way, he had, he had a great ability to to know that people would be interested in that. He'd throw away the rest of the questions mm-hmm. and he was listening. Uh, and that made him, I think, that made him excellent. He had a finger on the pulse. And you know who else has that skill, Trish, is you. you li- no, seriously, you, li- you listen, because I, I listen to you on the radio, and you listen to who you're interviewing. And that means the conversation is more natural. You're not getting through your, li- well, you are in this situation, getting through your list of questions. But when I hear you interviewing people, you have that ability as well. Thank you. So congratulations. Thank you. That's, that's really kind, kind of you. And had you, had you ever been interviewed by Gay Byrne? I was, uh, yeah, many years, uh, many years ago on the radio. And- yeah, it was it was to do with in my twenties. I had I had cancer. I'm sure we've had this yeah. conversation before. And one of the one of the things to a young man in their twenties, uh, one of the side effects, of course, of chemotherapy, and I had it twice, and I had quite serious treatment, uh, is infertility. Mm. So I was advised by my doctor at the time to bank my sperm, but of course, at the time in Ireland, you couldn't do that. So I set up a campaign. I didn't set up a campaign. I, I got better first, and then I contacted the relevant government people and politicians to see if we could change this. Um, of course, got nowhere. The, the, to make a long story short, got nowhere. Eventually, Pat Cox, to his eternal credit, was a, an MEP at the time. I contacted him. He told me that there was a thing you could do. And anyway, cutting a long story short, the case went in front of the European Parliament and the European Parliament got onto Dublin and cha- we ended up getting the laws changed. And so they you have can now been bank your sperm in, yeah. co- in, in Ireland. Yeah, and what, you were expected to bank it in another country? I had to, yeah. Had to, in, and in additional England. costs and... Oh, your own. Now, thankfully, yeah. I was only 20 at the time, or 21, but thank, so thankfully it was my parents. Had the, 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 uh, the illness gave me the time and my parents gave, you know, could afford the, the, the travel to London and staying in London for a while uh, and the, the, the hospital treatment in London. But all this, I mean, it was fine. I'm not moaning about it now. It's bad enough you going through cancer without that. That was just what I was going to say. 21-year-old fellow, like, you know, no, thankfully I have two lovely children since, which, yeah. which ha- happened by surprise, shall yeah. we say. Great, <laughs> great. Best surprise you could ever have. But anyway, yeah, so life is perfect now. And health-wise, you're perfect. Oh, perfect. Great, yeah. great, great, great. Yeah, but anyway, Gay, was, that's why I spoke to Gay about it. He was very, very, very good interviewer. Do yeah. you put some or of that down to sprays that you would have used? Or would you, you be know, using I, it at the time? I, I'm not, I suppose, Trish, the answer to that is I'm not qualified to say. But what I will say, it won't stop me from having an opinion. The, the huge increases in cancer that we see, particularly in the, these part, this part of the world, in the Western world, I think an awful lot of it has to be. I'm not qualified medically or scientifically to say this, but I think it has to be. Common sense has to say that it must be environmental. It must be the food we're eating, the air we're mm. breathing. I did use Roundup. I did use glyphosate when I, when, ever since I was a child. 
really ever since I was a child because I've been gardening since and I was three a, or four. Anyone who has ever been in the garden did. Did, yeah. And the, the, the type of cancer I got is the type of cancer that it's is linked. connected to glyphosate. So yeah. who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, but that's why keep yeah. well. Keep That's why you, you're always, whenever somebody rings up about something, careful of it. Keep yeah. well away from it. Okay, let's get straight into questions. Margaret and Donna Moore. Hi, Patricia. Good job, Peter. Uh, would an azalea shrub survive moving? And when would be the best time to move it? It's lost where it is. I want to move it where it can be seen better. Okay. And that's nice to yeah, enjoy well, it. You have two different, well, you have lots of different types of azalea, but you, you break them down into two groups. So you have the evergreen azaleas or the deciduous azaleas. Now, she's probably talking about the evergreen, which are the lower growings. They'll grow anything from a foot to kind of three or four foot. They're evergreen, obviously, uh, and spring flowering. Um, and the deciduous then will get up to six or seven feet with a spread of about three or four. Fabulous autumn colour and obviously then drop their leaves during the winter. Either can be moved. Um, it there is an inherent risk in moving anything that's quite established that it won't survive it. But the right thing, the right time to do it, if it's an evergreen one, I would say is January. When the, when the winter is at its coldest, during the month of January. Now, azaleas are a bit like camellias in that they have their flower buds on now for opening next spring. When you lift them and move them, 99% certain they'll fall off. So you will be sacrificing the flowers. That, yeah. But it should survive. The deciduous ones, because they have no leaves during that period, will... will um, there's a better chance of success, put it that way. Now, if your azalea is only two or three or four or five years old, it should be fine. But if it's five or ten or more, there is a big risk. Yeah. OK. Nora says, hi, Peter. Question for you, please. I've got four apple trees. They produce apples every year. But when the apples are almost fully grown, they start rotting and split with brown markings on each of the apples. Have they got some kind of a disease? Should I cut them down and start again? They have. It sounds like they may have apple scab or something similar. It's some kind of fungal infection. It, uh, without seeing a, a picture of them or seeing the fruit, it, it's difficult to say for certain. There's brown markings and they start to split. You see, that it probably is a apple scab or something like that, but it is possible that it, it uh, something like a wasp or something makes a hole and an infection gets in through that and it starts to split. That's also a possibility. You know, if that's the case, there's really very little you can do when wasps and that are around. But if it's scab, you could take preventative action, which would be give it a, a good pruning, let's say, in November, so this month which like the, the, the kind of posh gardener's way of saying to deal with fungal infection is what we call cultural control, which is basically just removing the infected growth. So give it a good prune in November. And when you're pruning it, just try and make sure that you're, you're maintaining a good open centre tree that allows good air circulation because fungal infections like scab will thrive where there's poor air circulation. And dampened. So exactly, yeah. where, where and lots and lots of crossing branches and leaves. So try and keep a good open centre, uh, remove any infected growth, any signs of infection. And then I would treat it with uh, a solution of copper sulphate mixed with water. Uh, you could do it, I would say, at time of bud burst, which is March, April. And you should be safe enough then, I would hope. Okay, good luck with that. Hi, says a texter. I planted sweet pea seeds rather late this year in egg cartons. And now I have seedlings that are about six inches high. What can I do to keep them alive until next summer? <laughs> well, rather late or rather early, depending on which yeah, way you look yeah, at that's it. that's true. <laughs> so I would actually recommend people to sow their sweet peas and, and uh, hardy annuals like that now because you get stronger plants earlier next year so they'll they'll be stronger and they'll flower earlier next year um you have them now if they're in an egg carton and they're a few inches high now they probably need actually to go into something slightly bigger into slightly bigger pots now um i left mine outside all winter last year that's because okay. as you know i'm i'm a lazy <laughs> bit gardener. lazy yeah. yeah they don't always come in uh but i was lucky because we didn't have serious frost or snow to damage them last year um but 
the correct advice would be to keep them keep those seedlings indoors from now until kind of hardening off time next year which would be April or May but okay. again if that's not if you have a glass house or a tunnel that's fine if you don't Leave them outside, but just keep an eye on them during frosty weather. Throw something over them. Okay, we've been lucky so far that we haven't had a cold spell, but it's early yet. Uh, Catherine says, question for Peter. A new lawn planted in June. It's now turning yellow and is rather poor looking. Is it possible to use a feed of some variety to improve it? I'm a great believer when it comes to lawns. I'm a great believer in letting nature do its thing. But the yellowing... The yellowing could be caused by a couple of things. It could be caused by nutrient deficiency, but it could also be caused by... um, either poor drainage or actually drought just after the time of sowing the seed. So um, June time, it, it, we didn't really have much drought problems this year, but it is possible. No. So uh, anyway, nature now with all the rain is certainly helping it. But I would put on, it's six. It's June, so it's nearly six months. Yeah, put on the Lawn Gold Winter Protect. It's a winter feed, so it's specially formulated with potassium and, and phosphorus for uh, root development at this time of the year. You don't want high nitrogen feed for your lawn at this time of the year you want because you don't want the growth over the ground you need strong root growth under the ground and that will also help prevent moss colonising it so lawn gold winter protect is what I would put on it because it's it's a young enough um, it is only five or six months yeah yeah. so it's it's like give it a chance uh, as well hi Peter I cut back a hosta that had gone brown. Did I do the right thing? Should Absolutely. I have left it alone? Absolutely. No, you, did, well, you could do either. It's, it's herbaceous, which just is a, a, a posh term for saying something that dies back for the winter. So the hosta, the foliage just dies off for the and winter. And it can go bl- slimy it's and It's quite horrible. untidy looking. Yeah. yeah. So you've done the right thing. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I have loads of cutting back to do, but I've got so much gorgeous autumn colour. Stunning this year. I'm just it? leaving it. <laughs> I, I get out there eventually, but for yeah. now I'm just enjoying it. Do you know it. where I was very briefly earlier today? I was up in Canturk. Every time I drive into Canturk, I'm blown away. It's such a nice town. But I came up through Bantir and the autumn colour on the yeah. motorbike. It's just yeah, it's, gorgeous. It's stunning. It is particularly good this year for whatever reason. Uh, Philip says, hi, uh, please advice and proper care of an amaryllis. Initial care, second year and beyond. Uh, the kits include a plastic pot with no drainage holes. Okay, initial advice and following on advice. You're getting your money's worth here now. Yeah, (laughs) So the amaryllis, which are popping up in garden centres all over the country now, because they, they, yeah, you should hopefully still have a flower for Christmas. Yeah. They're magnificent, really magnificent blooms. And they're the easiest things in the world to grow. You'll get... Get when he says a pot with no drainage holes now, there's different ways of doing it. So I would suggest get a pot with a drainage hole and perhaps use the, the pot that you were given as a pot cover, if you like, to stand that pot into. Because I do like to, I don't like to have them with no drainage. So put them in a normal, regular pot, just about half an inch wider than the diameter of the bulb. You don't want the pot to be too big because it'll rot. So just about half an inch wider than the bulb. You plant the bulb just to the soil surface, so about half the bulb is under the soil and about, not quite half, a third, let's say, over the soil. Um, and that's really all you do, Trish. Keep it watered now. Keep the soil quite moist without being overly damp. That's why I want drainage holes in it. So keep it moist without being overly damp. Uh, it probably will need some support as it grows. They grow They grow like triffids. They grow in front of your eyes over the next few weeks yeah. once they're given light. Uh, so the only thing to bear in mind is that it doesn't topple over, that physics do- doesn't take over. So you might want to turn the pot kind of every day or every other day so that it's not all s- sloping in one direction if it's near a window or something like that. Uh, when the flowers die off, then afterwards, let it die back naturally as you would your daffodil, your tulip, anything like that. As the foliage is dying off uh, and the flower stem is dying back, all that, all the nutrients are going back in as a food reserve into the bulb because the bulb is just a, a modified swollen stem and, and leaves. So 
so put on a high potassium feed like an organic tomato food or something at that point so that that bulb has enough food reserves to come back into growth this time next year. And it will. It will, yeah. And it's great for children. I think oh, it's, it's, and they're just such a gorgeous flower. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're, they really are magnificent. Uh, I have a rhododendron bush growing in my garden, says a listener. It's gone very wide and bushy. When is the best time to cut it back? Well, if you cut it back now, you will, like I was talking about earlier with the azalea, that the flower buds are on it already for opening next spring. So if you cut it back now, you will sacrifice next year's flowers. So I wouldn't recommend doing that. Um, depending on which variety it is will determine what time of the year it flowers but it'll be sometime let's say from kind of January, February to June it'll be during that period it flowers so best rule of thumb to give is as soon as the last flower has fallen off or has gone brown then prune it back and you can prune it back as hard as you want just remembering one thing uh, make sure you leave greenery below where you cut Okay. And then, but that's the time to do it Billy in Formoy is it okay to move an apple tree from a location where it's been for the last three years? Yes, is the yeah. short answer. Three years isn't that long. Uh, it is. It should be safe enough to move it, get as big a root ball as possible. And the time to do it is any time. Once the temperatures drop now, you would say from November on, but it's still quite mild, so I'd yeah. leave it a while. Still in full leaf, a lot of them. So I would say from the end of this month, any time from the end of November to the end of February. Uh, Peter, what's the best for moss on tarmac? This is a, God, this is a, pardon the pun, but a perennial question, isn't it, yeah. Trish? Every year. Um, and there's so many answers. Like there's, there's products like Jay's Fluid, which will work on moss. Then there's your salt, which you use for de-icing, will also be very effective in Don't moss. let it near the grass. You don't let it near the grass, exactly, yeah. or, or any flower beds. And it also, if it's repeated use, can be quite corrosive on the tarmac. Um, Moscow Probiotic, which is a very safe one to use, uh, is good when you get it clean. In other words, when it is clean, and to keep it clean, use the Moscow probiotic. Um, there is, There are several in the garden centres that are very good for moss that are safe to use. There's one off the top of my head. Is it called Algon? I think it's called Algon. Uh, that is, uh, uh, and Moss Buster, I think, is the other one. That are two are, uh, environmentally sound ones to use. But they are good because I have used them. I just can't remember the names. Yeah. So it's definitely Algon. And I think it's Moss Buster. But it's this time. It's, it is just this time of the year. And yes. Tess says, hi, can I move a holly tree? It's a small growing. It's near a wall. I'd say it grew from a seed. Could I grow it in a pot? I suppose the textbook answer is yes, but the, the, the realistic answer is it's it's very, hollies do not respond well to being moved. It's as simple as that. So she says it's small growing, which grew from a seed. So if it's only in there a few years, it will transplant hopefully quite well if you get a good, decent sized root ball. But if it's been there five or more years, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be difficult for, they don't always survive, put it that way. They're not the most successful to move. But the time to do it is, again, like I said, with the apple tree, from as soon as the temperatures drop to zero or close to and, the, and that plant becomes dormant for the winter, that's the time to do it. So it's end of November to end of February, I would say, to do it. OK, and somebody else has asked about cutting the grass. My grass uh, it seems to be really growing like mad. Is it still OK to cut grass? Still fine to cut it. You're not yeah. going to damage the lawn. It's just you've got to time it <laughs> so you've got to when nature allows you you can't go out when it's too wet obviously like today uh, are you if it, if we do get very cold temperatures and we get frost you, you need to wait for that frost to thaw out so yes it's absolutely fine to keep cutting your grass it is still mild so it is still growing it'll be growing after today's rain definitely mm. um, so you still find to cut it but just be careful that the ground isn't waterlogged the grass isn't too wet and it's not frozen now she stay on grass uh, Lucy is planning for next year what month of the year is best to set a lawn she's moving into a new house and she she needs, she wants to I love, I love questions like that yeah. where you can give an exact answer. March, March and failing that, September. Anything she can be doing now? 
preparing the ground absolutely yeah. so turning that soil if you turn the soil rotate it rake it break it up uh, let the frost work on it to break it down um, and then come March all you should have to do really is remove any any stones that have come to the surface so break it up and rotate it now remove any of the larger stones and rocks remove any perennial weeds that you can see any roots that you can see remove them all uh, and then come March come the first week in March just get out there again with your rake to break it up again it should be quite easy at that stage remove any few weeds that have um colonise it in that period and, and create a fine tilt with the rake make sure there's no stones and off you go and is now the right time to be planting daffodils says Ned yes all spring bulbs now really daffodils tulips alliums all those should be going in around now and, and Christmas hyacinths too for anybody who all, wants hyacinths for Christmas are yeah. paper whites put them in now and if I can you, are you, they the ones that go into the dark yeah, they start off in the dark for a few yeah. weeks until they come up and then they'll flower for Christmas. And if I could very briefly give a, a blatant plug for my own self, I've set up a new online store, the theirishgardenerstore.com, and I do sell some um, some spring bulbs. And, and I'm just now, eventually, because I found a paper packaging that totally replaces bubble wraps, because I can't well sell done. plants wrapped in plastic, so I won't, I haven't. Well done. But now I have found a good protective paper packaging, so I'm selling plants online as well, the theirishgardenerstore.com. theirishgardenerstore.com. Thanks for that. Have a great week and we'll talk to you again next week. That is Peter Dowder. That's where I leave you today. Thanks to John Paul and Murray. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.